Welcome to Creating Great Workplaces with Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. In his 30-year corporate career, Dr. Mark learned firsthand that healthy workplaces had a direct linkage to sustained growth and profitability, while dysfunctional workplaces experienced exactly the opposite. In his search for the secret sauce, Dr. Mark interviews senior executives from companies that have been recognized as a top workplace in their market or category. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Hinderleiter. Welcome to Creating Great Workplaces. You know, in my career, I've seen the direct connection between the health of the workplace culture and the financial performance of the business. I have lived it twice. So this show is about discovering the secret sauce for creating great workplaces and sustained business performance. My guest today is Dusty Staub. Dusty's a CEO and founder of EQIQ Leadership. He's worked for over 30 years with executives, families, and communities, as well as private and public companies. Dusty has trained and coached executives and teams in creating high-performance outcomes. Dusty is also the author of several books, including The Heart of Leadership, 12 Practices of Courageous Leaders, The Seven Acts of Courage, Bold Leadership for a Wholehearted Life, and Courage in the Valley of Death. I love that title, Daily Practices for Wholehearted Living. Dusty's also co-authored Dynamic Focus, Creating Significance and Breaking the Spells of Limitation with Wayne Gerber. And he's also written over 200 articles on topics such as leadership, team-based creativity, personal mastery, team effectiveness, personal effectiveness, and business strategy. Dusty, welcome to Creating Great Workplaces. Thanks, Mark. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, looking forward to a great conversation. You know, recently I have watched your TED Talks on The Seven Acts of Courage and recently read the book titled The Seven Acts of Courage. And I'd like to really dig into that book for this conversation, if we could. All right. So what was your inspiration for writing it? Well, as I did in my, in my TED Talk, I talked about I was a young man. I was a young therapist. I was working at the VA hospital doing a summer internship. And I was providing a psychological consultation with people on surgical ward 4B, which is in Durham, North Carolina. And one of the men I was working with was dying of esophageal cancer. He was about my father's age, fought in World War II, and he could only be fed through a tube in his stomach. And I'd been working with him for about six weeks. His wife came from a husky, North Carolina, about three hours away. His daughter would come up on the weekends and the two of them would sit with him. He couldn't talk. He could only write. And the last 24 hours, 48 hours of his life, he was in a coma. And the doctors, the nurses told the daughter and wife he was going to pass very quickly. So I was in the room with the daughter and the wife and the duty nurse, as this man in his coma, his breath was very labored, very difficult, very struggling. And then he exhaled and he didn't inhale again. And the wife bent over him, her, her face covering his face to kiss him, crying. The daughter kissed her father, hugging her mother, crying. The nurse was crying. I was crying. Yeah. And Mark, it was the first time I'd ever been with somebody when they died. Yeah. And I'd worked with this man. I knew him. I knew his family. And 
ultimately the nurse took the daughter and mother out of the room. I couldn't move. I, my feet were rooted to the floor. I was in a state of total shock and also awe. And it, it was like a lightning bolt went through my head and, and down through the soles of my feet. And in that moment, I realized that at some point I was going to die. Yeah. That man could be my father. Someday that would be my father. Yeah. And that moment of realization, I saw looking at all the ways I'd been petty, all the ways I'd blamed my father, because he and I have a relationship like this, being in the military 26 years as a paratrooper. And I realized my father wasn't the problem. The world wasn't the problem. I was the problem. It was my attitude. And that was a moment of transformation. And I had the courage to see the current reality, look in the mirror, to see the problem, and see it looking back at me. <laughs> the courage to be confronted by my mortality, the courage to be vulnerable and open to life. And the seven acts of courage really was born in that moment. And I began to see courage in multiple ways. And I started using it. It transformed me, which transformed my relationship with my father. That's when the seven acts was born. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? I love that story. Thanks for sharing it. That just a moment in time. Yes can be transforming if we let it be. Yeah. Or if we're open to it, if we, if we take it on, and you did. Yeah. Well, that, that's the key. There are moments throughout our life, and they can be moments that are pivotal, that, that pivot us into a more powerful, a more peaceful, a more loving, a more joyful way of living. And we have to have the courage to be open, the courage to be vulnerable, and to let go of the old, to step into the new and stop defining ourselves by the past, stop defining ourselves by the way we've been. And that's, that's a big issue. I don't know about you, but I find the quality of courage maybe even more important now in my own life than it's ever been because the world is changing so relentlessly yeah. that hanging on to the past can make us literally obsolete. Yes. Uh, in terms of our skills and attitudes and behaviors and approach to life? Well, the way we put the world together, the way we think about the world governs our behavior. Yeah. And if our way of thinking fits the way the world was in the 40s and 50s, or even the 90s or the 2000s, and it doesn't fit where we are today, we're out of sync. We're out of sync with our our, our, our clients, we're out of sync with our employees, we're out of sync with the world itself. And it's very hard to be successful. And I work with organizations that have been working now with them in my own business for 31 years and 37 years as a consultant, five years as head of leadership development for another firm. And in that 37 years of working with organizations and, and CEOs and teams, I see hundreds of billions of dollars wasted or left on the table by most businesses because of old ways of thinking, old ways of going after client systems, old ways of performing. And even in the well-run organizations, I find that most executives are only getting 30, 35% of what their human system is capable of giving them. Yeah, yeah. I, I see that. I'm old enough to hang on to an old school leadership approach, mm. but I don't. 
<laughs> because I know it doesn't work. And, and I'm finding the same is true with sales. Old school sales in the virtual world doesn't work. I mean, I love the 57 Chevy and a 65 Mustang. <laughs> that's not the world we live in now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Daniel Pink wrote a wonderful book a number of years back. It was a bestseller called Drive. Yeah. And he says something in there, he said, which I love. He says that most executives, most leaders in the world are using the psychology and sociological understanding of the 1940s and 1950s, which is extrinsic motivation, the carrot and the stick. Do this, you get the reward. Do this, you get punished. And said so that only works if you're making widgets. There's not a lot of change in the world. You don't need people to think. And your clients are static, not dynamic, because the extrinsic motivators actually degrade creativity, degrade critical thinking. It is the intrinsic motivations you want to tap on. And that's where courage comes in. And that's where great leadership comes in. They tap the inner motivations in people and the teams of people around them. They don't just use a carrot and a stick. It's not just reward and punishment. That actually degrades performance. And that's the old way of thinking that leaders use, the command and control style. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if you could share with our listeners kind of an overview of the seven acts of courage that you write about and talk about. Sure. And, and I would just I preface this. Courage is absolutely essential, and yet it's not sufficient by itself. So courage is one-seventh. I've looked at a holistic framework for leadership in my my first book, The Heart of Leadership, I talk about seven dimensions of leadership. And one of the cores is courage, but it's only one seventh. Absolutely essential. Leadership fails without it. And it's not sufficient by itself. Having said that, the essential thing for me that I think was my breakthrough was seeing courage wasn't monolithic. And people say, well, you don't have enough courage. You're a coward or, or, or you have lots of courage. Well, well, what do you mean by courage? Everybody's got courage of one actor or more. And yet everyone I've met has a weakness or an opportunity for development in one or more of those acts. So the seven acts of courage, as I, as I saw it, as it framed itself for me coming out of that, that life-changing event in the VA hospital by the bedside of that, that wonderful man as he, as he took his last breath, where the, the first is the courage to dream. The courage to dream and to put the dream out there, a dream of being an author, a dream of, of creating a podcast, yeah. the dream of creating a business, uh, the dream of having a family, the dream of being a good father or good mother, uh, the dream of being a, a, you know, creating a, a great department, a great sales team, being a great supervisor. The courage to dream is, is required because we have so many cynics. You just go on the internet. There's so many internet trolls. Oh you dare to put something Lord. out there. Somebody's going to attack it and put you down, right? And so the courage dream is knowing that you're going to be attacked. You're going to be criticized. Who are you to think you could do that? You know? And, and yet the, and the story that comes to me was I was working in a crisis center, and I had a 69-year-old woman who came in and wanted to learn how to be a crisis counselor. She was a grandmother, and she didn't finish high school. And so she went through the 60 hours of training. She became one of the greatest crisis counselors we had in our crisis center and uh, great heart. And her kids kept saying, mom, you can't do that. You can't do that. And she said, she said, well, I have this dream that I'd like to go to college. Well, mom, it's too late. You can't go to college, you know, grandma. But she had a granddaughter who was seven years old. The granddaughter said, grandma, go for it, go for it. So she get her GD. 
She got in community college. She got through and she became an editor in the local newspaper at the age of 75. Love that. I was a courage to dream, courage to express it, put it out there in spite of the opposition of her kids who were embarrassed. And then they were very proud. But it yeah. was her granddaughter who saw the possibility and encouraged her, her grandma. It's amazing where inspiration can come from, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then the second act of courage is the courage to see current reality. And it's one thing to dream and put it out there. And yet, if it's only a pipe dream, unless I see the current reality, that's the ground I stand on. What's working for me? What's working against me? What am I, where are we strong? Where are we weak? Organizationally, what's, what's best here? How do we build on it? Organization, where, what's our, our greatest weakness? What might be the fatal flaw? How do we address it? If you don't have the courage to see current reality, your dream is just a pipe dream. Current reality is the platform or the foundation on which we stand. The courage to dream is the guiding star. Now, how do I go from current reality to the guiding star are the next five acts of courage, all right? Yeah, so, if I could throw a comment in there, Dusty. Um, you know, the courage to dream is absolutely true in business. It's, it's called vision, isn't it? Yes. Uh, current reality. So uh, another of my favorite authors is Susan Scott. She's the author of Fierce Conversations. Yes. And one of the questions she asks, which is very challenging, is what are you pretending not to know? Yes. It's what, what is the elephant in the room? Nobody wants to identify. Right. Well, you know, you know, I don't smell any peanuts. I don't see any trunk. What are you talking about? There's no elephant in the room. And it's like the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. The current reality, courtesy current reality is the courage to really stop and say, what are our strengths? Because sometimes people are afraid to claim those. I might have to do something with them. What are our greatest weaknesses? What are my greatest strengths? What is my greatest opportunity for growth? And if we're not willing to see current reality, we're flying blind. Yeah, absolutely. And as my dad said, flying blind is not a smart thing to do. <laughs> uh, I'm going to quote your dad on that. That sounds like good wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So now to move from current reality, once we see it, we have the courage to see it. And many executives don't, you know, and we have the dream, the vision where we want to go. It takes five acts. The third act of courage is the courage to confront, to tell truth to power, as the Quakers would say. The courage to confront, and I see a big, big problem in many organizations is that senior, uh, that people are afraid to have the difficult conversations. They avoid the courageous conversation with a peer, with a subordinate, certainly with a boss. And if we don't have the courage to confront, to speak our truth, now, doing it with some respect, not just shouting at people, the courage to share our truth, knowing that it's our truth. It's not necessarily the truth, but it's our truth. If we don't have the courage to confront, to put it out there, we can't ever move towards the vision effectively. And that's a big issue in many organizations. You know, it was for me, Dusty, early in my career, I tell this story in my, my own leadership workshops that, you know, fairly early in my leadership career, I didn't confront one of my managers who was produced really quality work on time, uh, but didn't really give much recognition to her team and sometimes even took credit for their work. And one of my other managers confronted me and said, what are you going to do about that? And I pretended not to, what are you talking about? (laughs) And so I said, okay, okay, okay. I got you. Thank you for coming in. And so I did have that conversation. And, you know, the, the, uh, 
afterwards, I was embarrassed because I let this manager down by not giving that manager the benefit of constructive feedback. Yeah. So without, without confronting that behavior, it just continues. And, and that was on me. Yeah. And, and, and what happens is when you don't tell people the truth about their behavior or their performance, you set them up to fail. And I, I can't tell you how many supervisors I've dealt with who got somebody who'd been working in the company for 15, 20 years. They, they person now reports to them and they realize that all the performance reviews written for this person were lies. Yeah. Person got great reviews and they were subpar performer. And this person now had to confront that. And that presents huge HR issues. Yeah. And you can do it. It's just going to take nine months of documentation and coaching and work to find out if they can step up or whether you're going to have to take action. And the failure of that employee is a direct result of the failure, the lack of the courage to confront on the part of their prior supervisors. Absolutely. As a, as a uh, former HR executive, I have seen that countless times. And it damages the organization. It's unfair to that subpar performer. And it takes way more time than it should to correct it. Yeah. I've now had the privilege of working with 120 HR directors, senior vice presidents of HR, directors yeah. of HR, and 120 organizations. And that story, I'd say, is true in 98% of the, all those HR leaders yeah. I work with. Yeah, Absolutely. So that's that's a big failure in corporate America right there. And uh, it's a big issue in families too. Now, now confronting isn't yelling at somebody. No. Confronting isn't, you know, letting your temper out. That's called dumping. Yeah. Dumping on somebody or vomiting on somebody is really different than thinking about the issue and holding the person accountable and having the tough conversation. It's easy to dump on somebody when you're angry. It's easy to throw up on somebody when your passion is there. Much harder to do it when you're calm and rational, which is the only time you should confront. Otherwise, as you know from HR, you're likely to come across in a way that is damaging and difficult, and you could have a complaint filed against you, rightly so. And HR has to deal with that then. The fourth act of courage is the courage to be confronted. Yeah. Now, I consider that two sides of the coin called integrity. You know, a coin on can't have just one side, it has two sides. One side is the courage to confront. I don't have integrity if I'm not willing to put my truth out there respectfully. And I also can't have integrity if I'm not willing to hear your truth, to hear you confront my behavior, to confront me about ways in which I could do better. And I see that's the next big issue is many executives, their egos, their ego, and their personal feelings are more important than being the best leader they can be. When, so, I, when I'm, I, I was working with a senior leader down in Texas, uh, running uh, between 50 and $150 million business. Yeah. I have to be a little vague because I want to protect the guilty. Right. And, uh, and he, he said, you know, uh, I don't know what the problem is. He says, you know, I, I, I'm losing senior executives. They're leaving uh, too often. And he says, but, but my people love me. I, I, they really admire and appreciate the work I do and, and what I know. So, He'd hired me. I said, well, let me do a 360 for you. So I went out and gathered data and sat down. I said, yeah, people respect your integrity uh, in terms of being willing to lay the truth out there. They respect your competence. They respect your passion. And if you look at the themes here, 
from 15 people, 14 people talked about the fact that you don't have the courage to be confronted. What do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> see? see, you're getting defensive. No, I'm not. That's defensive. That's not. That's defensive. We went through this for 15 minutes and finally said, well, I guess I'm, I sound pretty damn defensive. I said, yeah, go open up the dictionary. You'll see a picture of yourself looking back at you. And then he laughed. I said, if you lack the courage to be confronted, people will tell you what they think you want to hear, and then they'll tell the truth behind your back. And right now, everybody thinks you're too fragile. He didn't like that. Too fragile to hear the truth. When you get defensive or angry because somebody's telling you something you don't want to hear about your behavior or your decisions, you're basically saying, lie to my face, tell the truth behind my back, and let me continue to be a mediocre or subpar leader. Well, he didn't like that at all. And I said, I'm telling you the truth. Now, it's your business. You can continue to go be effective and be half-assed as a leader. I said, my father was a paratrooper, so half-assed. I'll use the word half-hearted. You can be a half-hearted leader or half-assed leader. Pick your choice. Yeah. If you want to be wholehearted, if you want to have, have the full game here, you're going to have to thank people for hurting your feelings for the next six to nine months until it doesn't hurt anymore. And unless you're willing to do that, you're going to continue to just be a mediocre at best leader. Well, we had a great two and a half hour conversation. At the end of that time, he went out and said, well, I right. started inviting people in. I said, and when people would get upset, he said, you know, give me a minute. That's hard to hear. And I want to hear it. Tell me more. I had to coach him on how to do that because his face and his, his reaction, yeah. you have to let people know I'm going to react. It's hard to hear. And I want to hear it. Please tell me. And then reward them for doing the things that hurt your feelings. That's the courage to be confronted. And a lot of executives don't have it. A lot of supervisors don't have it. And unfortunately, a lot of employees don't have it. And it creates a lot of problems in marriages too. Yeah, you know, here's the lesson I learned what you're talking about. When I told you that one manager came in and said, hey, what are you going to do about that other manager? After I had that, you know, feedback session with the manager that she was talking about, it occurred to me, that I needed to invite people in to tell me the truth. Yes. So ever since then, I had what I called my closed door policy. You know, <laughs> basically the talk went like this. You know, every company's got an open door policy. Okay. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, <clears throat> I have a closed door policy. And what that means is come in my office, shut the door and tell me the truth. Uh, and it will never, ever be held against you. Um, and especially if you're upset at me, that's yeah. the that's what I really want to hear. But it can be any truth. And that served me well, Dusty. And I had to be very intentional about keeping my commitment of no repercussions. Yeah. And and so I I, I always had a better pulse of what was going on because of that. Yeah. Well, that, that would make you kind of an exceptional leader based on what I see out there as the norm. Um, and you have to you have to go out and seek the feedback because nobody wants to rock the boat. Nobody wants the person who is above them in the chain or who can influence their career to be upset with them. When you are willing to have that kind of conversation and you invite it and seek it out, you are already being an extraordinary leader. 
compared to what I see in most executives out there. And that courage to invite the conversation, the courage to ask the tough questions. In fact, to help with that, there's something we developed we call power questions. And a power question is, is, a, is a Pareto based. You're looking for the top one or two things. So you could say, if you're doing a closed door conversation, you could say, I uh, could say, Mark, tell me, you know, what do you like about what I'm doing as a supervisor? Or uh, Mark, do you think there's anything I need to improve uh, as head of HR? What we suggest you ask is something much more powerful, which is Mark, tell me the top one or two things that you most appreciate about how I'm functioning as a supervisor. Mark, if I could change one thing about how I'm working as head of this department that you think would make the biggest difference for the team, what's the one change, uh, one thing I could do different? Is there anything missing? What's the one thing missing that if we added to our team interactions would make the biggest positive difference? What's the one thing most confusing, if anything, about my leadership or about uh, where we're going as in direction as an organization that if we clarify would help the team the most? So the four big powerful questions, top one or two things to celebrate, what's right, top one or two things to fix or change, top one thing to add that if added would make the biggest difference, top one thing most confusing if clarified. If you ask those power questions and you are listening and reflecting, asking follow-up questions and not getting defensive and appreciating them and then reflecting on that and based on the themes you're getting from people, Show them that you are hearing them and working to make changes, to leverage strengths and address those opportunities. Your leadership and their morale will go up and the performance of your team will increase dramatically. It's like magic. And yeah. it's really very simple. I, I love those questions because, one, they're holistic. You know, what do we celebrate? What do we fix? What do we clarify? What do we what do we do that we're not doing now? And two, you're you're asking for very specific things, you know, yes. the top one or two things rather than, you know, people can kind of stumble around in, in a general answer and you're you're making it real specific. Those are great questions. Thank you. Thank you. We found them to be very useful with our clients. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I would say is, is that you, if somebody, when you're first starting this and people are afraid to tell you the true truth, you might get some fluff or they'll say, well, there's nothing. You're doing great. You say, well, then you say, well, I want you to think about this over the next, uh, over the weekend or over the next 48 hours. I know that you're smart enough to figure out some things I could do better. And I just would like you to think about it and let's get together again next week at this time. And I'd love to hear the one thing I can do different. So then you put a little pressure on them. They have to go home and think about it and they can think about how they want to say it. And then when they come back, you're really appreciative they put thought into it and you'll start getting more input. Yeah. So that's the courage to be confronted. The Love fifth it. act, you ready to move to the fifth act here? Yep. The, the fifth act of courage is the courage to learn and grow. And the courage to learn and grow, and almost every executive I meet will say, I've got the courage to learn and grow. And I say, okay, do you know what the courage to learn and grow there are two components to it, two barriers. The first is the addiction to being right. What? what? Yeah. If you are addicted to being right, your idea is the best idea. You're always right. Uh, if you're addicted to being right, you don't have the courage to learn and grow because you only know what you know and you learn very slowly and you don't really hear and take in new ideas and input of other team members. So. 
closely allied with the courage to be confronted is the courage to give up the need to be right. And uh, I love the formulation. It's not my formulation. I, I forget who came up with it, but it's you can either be right or happy in a marriage. You can either be right or you can be successful in, as a leader in your business. Being right is the booby prize. Learning, growing, helping other people offer more, feel they can learn and grow. And not being addicted to the past way of looking at the world is part of the courage to learn and grow. The other piece is the willingness to step into ambiguity. When the world changes with COVID, with, with the distance learning, distance communication, distance teamwork, when the world changes, we have to be willing to step into that unknown, into the gray area. And people like certainty. They don't like that foggy area. Yet the courage to step into the fog, to go through the mist, to go into uncertainty, into the unknown, along with the willingness to give up the need to be right, is what it takes to really learn and grow. Early in my marriage, my wife asked me one day, do you want to be right or do you want to be in relationship? <laughs> I said, well, can I think about that a minute? <laughs> the, the answer was obvious, but nobody had ever asked me that. And yeah. that not only made me a better husband, it made me a better leader because you know, I, I, I gave up the need to be right. Yeah, you're. Your wife sounds like an extraordinary person. She is. It sounds like my wife, you know, uh, early on in our relationship, she said, um, would you rather talk at me or would you rather talk with me? You know, and, and uh, the same thing. Would you rather yeah. be right or would you rather be in relationship? I love that formulation. Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. Um, the, the sixth act of courage, the courage to be vulnerable. Now, when I wrote that, my publisher, which at the time was Executive Excellence out in Provo, Utah, they, they published the hardcover, uh, The Seven Acts of Courage. And they didn't want me to use the word vulnerable. So oh, executives won't like that. And this was more than 20 years ago now. And yet, what I love is that Brene Brown came out with her, her TED Talk and her research that the key to being truly successful and joyful in life is the courage to be vulnerable. And that vulnerability is the critical difference. And for true creativity and innovation, you need to be vulnerable. She said after she did her TED Talk, and there's been millions of views on that TED Talk, yeah. um, uh, she, she said that she got calls from all these CEOs and senior leaders who wanted to come and work with them on being, helping be more innovative and creative in their company. But almost every one of them said, but let's not talk about that vulnerable stuff. And she said, I want to be totally clear here right now. You cannot create more innovative cultures or true learning-based cultures unless you have the willingness to step into vulnerability. And I love that. So, you know, I feel like a prophet. I've been saying it for decades. And finally, there's validation in the research out there. The courage to be vulnerable is the courage to be open, knowing you're going to get hurt. The courage to be vulnerable is the courage to love, knowing you're going to lose. And that was the biggest lesson at that VA hospital. So the lack of the courage to be vulnerable is a big issue in corporate America also, right up there with lacking the courage to confront or the courage to be confronted. Dusty, would you equate being real with being vulnerable? Yes. Are they equivalent or are they, are they just kind of kissing cousins? I think being real means being authentic. Yeah. 
And being authentic means you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to be yourself and be present in the world. And so I think that being real, in fact, there's a term that my dad used a lot. He said, in the military, we're only concerned when an officer comes in is, is this guy for real? Yeah. Is this gal for real? Yeah. And for real, for real means, do they know what they're talking about? Number one, competency. Will they back it up? Integrity. And do they care about something more than their ego and their rank? In other words, will they care about me? Those are the three things that go into being real. So, Dusty, you know, we've had a great conversation. If you could share with our listeners kind of one or two takeaways from all the things that we've talked about, what would they be? Oh, that's a great question, Mark. <clears throat> My father used to say, he said, son, when someone asks you the time, don't tell them the history of time and how to build a clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I have a tendency I want to tell people everything I know. Uh, I want to share it all. I'd say if you were to summarize, <clears throat> it's take the time to stop and ask yourself, where do I most have courage in my life of the seven acts? Of those seven acts, go back, courage to dream, express it, courage to see current reality, courage to confront, courage to be confronted, courage to learn and grow, courage to be vulnerable, courage to act. Which acts am I strongest in? Now, how can I build on those? Now, which one act do I most need to develop that if I look at it is the one that cost me the most pain in my marriage or the most pain in my career, the most, most pain in my organization, which act do I most need to develop? Now, who do I know that's strong in that act? Find, find it a shining example of uh, uh, somebody who you think is really strong in that, who does it well, and model yourself after that person and start small. So if, if it's the courage to confront don't go try to talk directly to the CEO. <laughs> begin talking to other people that you normally would avoid and begin telling your truth, thinking it through and doing it that way. So find a, a example of somebody who does it well, begin to model yourself after that person and build that act and leverage the ones you're not so strong in. The second thing is make sure that you're inviting people rather than telling them. I, I, I have something that I discovered as a young therapist and certainly it's held up true as a consultant and running my own business that invitation in the long run is infinitely more powerful than coercion. Invitation in the long run is infinitely more powerful than coercion. Invite people in, set the standard, ask for their goals. Instead of talking at people, engage and talk with people. And I love what your wife said, would you rather be right or be in relationship and more effective? And so those would be the three, three biggest things I'd say. Well, uh, great wisdom. Uh, I think there's another conversation you and I could have about the seven dimensions of leadership, but that'll be for another day. So, uh, Dusty, where do folks find you and your books? Well, we just launched our new website, eqiqleadership.com, eqiq, emotional intelligence, intellectual quotient, eqiqleadership.com, and you, they can find out about our team, about our work. My books are on Amazon. Uh, you can get them through Kindle. You can order them from our website. And we have a distributor. So we ship out hundreds of books or thousands of books monthly based on, on requests. And there's also the TEDx talk is really available. Really a great thing on the seven axes, 10 minutes long. And I just did a blog on multiplying the effective intelligence of your organization and the eight steps 
on how to multiply the effective intelligence, get the most from your human systems. And that's a, that's a blog on EQIQ leadership. So those would be ways and always happy to talk to people if they have questions. Well, Dusty, thank you so much for your time, your experience and your wisdom. I look forward to another conversation. Mark, me too. I, I loved your, your experience from HR and your perspective. And I feel like I'm talking to an old friend. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, uh, Dusty, thank you so much. And folks, thanks for listening. I like to say that great podcasts, great conversations like this are today's MBA. They're more timely and they're more relevant. So thanks for listening. Have a great day. Companies with healthy, engaging workplaces have a distinct advantage over the competition in any industry. We hope you got at least one tip from this podcast to move you forward in creating a workplace people are proud to be a part of. Thanks for listening to Creating Great Workplaces with your host, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. For a complimentary consultation, call Dr. Mark at 636-346-8466. For more information, visit us at thirdwayinc.com. That is T-H-I-R-D-W-A-Y-I-N-C.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.